everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stansbury, and today we are talking about Zulker Park. It's our city's most famous park, home to Barn Springs Pool, ACL, and the Trail of Lights. And recently, there's been a bit of controversy surrounding the park and its future. If you've been on the internet lately, you might have heard about this or rumors about this. So on today's show, we're just going to break it all down for you and explain what's really going on with Zilker Park. It all stems from something called the Zilker Metropolitan Park Vision Plan, which was released by the City of Austin Parks and Recreation Department back in November. Now, these kinds of vision plans are pretty common for the city. We have vision plans for other parks as well, including Walter E. Long, Northwest District Park, and John Trevino Jr. Park. And these plans are usually developed over the course of a few years with several opportunities for community input. The process for developing the Zilker Park vision plan uh, officially started back in February of 2021. So what are these vision plans? Well, they're exactly that. They're big picture visions and goals for the park. Usually the plans are filled with mock-up drawings of what the park could look like in 10 or 20 years. And they have a list of suggested projects like playgrounds and pools. Now, a key thing to note about vision plans, they're often largely unfunded. Our parks department is already underfunded, and so they don't typically have a lot of extra money laying around for large infrastructure projects at parks. So plans can sit on a shelf for a long time until additional funds are raised, perhaps through nonprofits or private philanthropy or city council votes to set aside some money, or most commonly, voters approve a bond to fund certain projects from the plan. So all that's to say that just because a vision plan is approved doesn't mean that everything in the plan is going to immediately happen overnight, or ever for that matter. These are meant to be changes that could be implemented over decades, and again, maybe even not at all if the money is never raised, but they are the stated vision for the park, and they provide a roadmap for what the official city policy should be, so they're still really meaningful. Okay, so then what's the controversy here then? Like I said, the plan has been out for a little over a month, but a viral social media post from the nonprofit organization Save Our Springs Alliance earlier this month, I think really kicked off a lot of public conversation around it. So here's what that post said, quote, city consultants released a draft plan for Zilker Park that would convert the park into a year round commercial and private profit center for the national music industry monopoly Live Nation Ticketmaster and its local conservancy and ACL partners. Rather than Zilker Park, it would be Park Zilker. Rather than rewild and restore the park with volunteers and community support at a reasonable cost, the draft calls for an amusement park with hundreds of millions in new construction of bridges, parking garages, new commercial venues, and to hand over management to a private conservancy. The whole purpose of the park and the lifeblood of Austin, Barton Springs, gets nothing. We wish we were kidding, but we're not. End quote. Now, we're going to hear from someone in a bit who's affiliated with Save Our Springs Alliance and shares their view in opposing the vision plan, and we're going to take a deeper dive into some of the concerns that SOS is really raising here, but right off the bat, like I just have to say, this post is filled with a lot of hyperbole. Uh, You know, the plan will not literally turn Zilker Park into an amusement park. And that whole bit about converting the park into a year-round commercial and private profit center for the national music industry... That's SOS's interpretation of the issue and the plan. The plan doesn't explicitly say that anywhere. So then, you know, what does the plan actually say? 
I'm going to go through a quick rundown of the plant's highlights, and then we're going to listen in on an interview I recorded with some local park advocates, so you can get a deeper picture of what's going on. So here's what's in the plan, just a few bullet points. Um, one, a new pedestrian bridge over Barton Springs Road to connect one side of the park to the other. Um, an internal circulator service and an extension of the Zilker Eagle route, again, making it easier to travel within the park without a car. Um, it also has in the plan closing several roads to vehicle traffic and making them bike and pet only. Uh, four new playgrounds, a new sports area, kind of with all the sports amenities clustered into one zone. Improving access to the Barton Springs Spillway, aka Barking Springs, in order to reduce erosion. Um, removing all of the park's informal parking, like the gravel lot under Mopac, and building three new parking garages, with one being underground. Now, the idea here is to maintain the same number of parking spaces that are currently available in the park, but to close all the informal parking and restore those areas back to usable green space. So that's a few really quick highlights. Um, I think it's time to like dive deeper into it now. So first up, we're going to listen in on an interview I recorded with several folks who are part of the Zilker Collective Impact Working Group. This is a coalition of 16 organizations that work in and around Zilker Park. That includes the Trail Conservancy, Austin Sunshine Camps, the Rowing Dock, Hill Country Conservancy, Umlauf Sculpture Garden, many more. And they've been actively sharing their ideas for the park with the city's design team and are generally supportive of the Zilker Park Vision Plan that's recently been released. Okay, so you're going to hear from, in this interview, uh, Karen Blizzard. She's the project manager of the Zilker Collective Impact Working Group. Jonathan Ogren, who's the principal at the Siglo Group which is an environmental planning and ecological design group that actually conducted a natural resource inventory of the park in order to help kick off this whole vision planning process. You're also going to hear from Joy Kaznowski. She's the chief mission officer at the Austin Parks Foundation. And then Mike Kanati, who's the board chair of the Barton Springs Conservancy. All right, let's go ahead and give that interview a listen. Okay, I am here with a whole bunch of parks, folks. We're talking the Zilker Park vision plan. Um, let's just start at the beginning a bit. Um, the vision plan, you know, what, what What was the original idea? Like, why does Zilker Park need a vision plan? And then kind of how did you all start to get involved with it? Let's explain a little bit of this coalition that has formed in the process to how we got to where we are now. Who wants to tackle that one for us? I can offer a perspective, and if, if this is useful, this is Mike Kanati with Barton Springs Conservancy. Um, we've been working with the city actually for a number of years around the bathhouse project, uh, and we quickly understood that as the city was trying to figure out how to grapple with larger issues around just the bathhouse, they needed to have a little broader planning framework in mind. Um, a few years after that, there was a a discussion around what happens at the Butler landfill parking area uh, that was being proposed for some improvements uh, that in turn generated another round of public engagement about Zucker Park. But again, this was all just public engagement, not any professional help. And around the same time, the city of Austin had some money, uh, I can't remember in what bond package that was set aside to do some planning work at Zucker Park. Uh, and that was going to be the first time of, of what we now call a vision plan uh, had ever been prepared for the park as a whole. There are actually a couple of existing small uh, vision plans or master plans, one for the Barton Springs pool area and one for the Zilker Botanical Garden area that exist inside the park, but nothing for the park as a whole. And 
when the city initiated the process to uh, consider having an overall vision plan, uh, we, the Martin Springs Conservancy uh, and Austin Parks Foundation uh, started to talk with each other uh, about whether we needed to sort of be uh, engaged in, 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 in this process and, and, and to make sure we inform the, the, whoever the design team is gonna be about how the park works best and how we hoped it would work, work for the future. And those conversations between the two of us ended up expanding into 16 of the, uh, the organizations in the park, which really is a collection of nonprofit friends groups, conservancies, uh, cultural groups like the Botanical Garden and the Zilker Hillside Theater, uh, a couple of nonprofit events, the, the Trail of Lights uh, and the Kite Festival, and there's two small uh, kayak concessions. And that's, I think we can give you, or maybe Karen already put it in the, in the chat, that's yeah the 16 groups. And so for the last year, we have been talking with each other, coordinating amongst ourselves, actually learning about our different groups uh, in the park and sharing a lot of our uh, experience and our recommendations uh, with the design team, uh, design workshop, uh, so that they had the benefit of, you know, the park users' uh, perspectives on what's going on in the park and what needs to happen in the future for the park to continue to be enjoyed and loved by the the millions of Austin visitors who come to Zilker as a metropolitan park. Yeah. You know, one, one thing that I've heard um, repeated a lot is this idea that Zilker park is being like loved to death. Yes. Um, yeah. Can, who can, can someone talk about that? Like why? And I, I assume that kind of fits into the need for a plan like this perhaps is that it is a park that is, is, can be overused and you can see some of that environmental damage, right. Or crowding or whatever it might be. Sure. This is Karen Blizzard. Um, I can talk about that <clears throat> from kind of a high level. And then Jonathan might want to add some details about um, the ecological degradation in the park. But um, as you just said, it is being loved to death. And at the same time, our city's population is increasing. Mm -hmm. And so we, a lot of us are just used to it being the way it is. We've gone there for decades and sometimes we don't even notice all the erosion and the, you know, the degradation when we walk into the park because we're just used to it. But <clears throat> it's there and we need to be proactive and take measures so that future generations can have the same experiences we've had in Zilker Park and, you know, bring it up to be a 21st century park with with um, better playgrounds and ecological improvements um, and this plan is exciting because it, it proposes 91 acres of ecological restoration. And there are sort of four core areas where the plan is proposing to make improvements um, with ecological uplift, access and mobility, um, welcoming visitors and storytelling through a robust interpretive plan. <clears throat> And there's a proposed land bridge, which would, for the first time, connect both sides of the park. And that's very exciting because a lot of times visitors and even people who work within the park don't necessarily know what's going on in other areas of the park besides where they usually visit. So, um, Jonathan, did you want to add anything about um, the ecological needs? I, I would love to add a little bit. So um, I've been using Zilker Park since around 1990. Um, have just uh, loved going there. Uh, as an undergraduate graduate at UT, I would go with my friends down to Barking Springs. We would jump in the water, um, ride back to UT. Uh, the, it is the access to the Greenbelt. So it's somewhere that Austinites, um, 
from all uh, equity levels, from all parts of Austin come to enjoy the outdoors. Uh, we got to become professionally involved as part of Siglo Group when Barton Springs Conservancy asked us to do an assessment of the park. And they, uh, through the um, collaboration with the city of Austin, Barton Springs Conservancy asked the city, what do you all need to jumpstart this vision plan? And the city of Austin said, if you all can start, what would be an assessment that could jumpstart how the vision team are looking at the park, um, that would be incredibly helpful. And that's where we got to come on board. Um, about 12 individuals, ornithologists, ecologists, ecological planners, ecological designers, studied the park for about a year and did what is called the Natural Resource Inventory and Sustainable Management Guidelines for Zilker Park. Um, that you can look at on the Barton Springs Conservancy website. And so what that documents is a little bit of that love to death. Um, it documents the erosion issues, the invasive species issues, um, places where stormwater is running across the landscape and, and documents it in detail. And what that did was it jump-started that vision planning process. The beauty of the love to death theme is we recognize that this is a place that Austinites love and we need to take care of it. We need to invest in its future so other people can enjoy it. One of the best places to look at that and the need for additional infrastructure, the need for uh, investment is the Barking Springs area. Um, with COVID, with our increased population, uh, you can see num numerous issues coming together that are getting exacerbated. So we've got the floodwaters of Barton Springs that come down every few years. Um, top over the pool, um, cause erosion issues. And that that could be sustained if that was the only thing going down there at Barking Springs. But we've also got the stormwater coming off of a number of the parking lots that are upslope from Bart, Barton Creek. And then finally, we have loads of people going down there to enjoy themselves. Perhaps they can't pay for uh, admission to Barton Springs Pool, um, or it's just where their friends are, or it, they have an affinity for that site, and they're coming down there weekend after weekend and enjoying that space. So those three, three elements together are causing substantial degradation from an erosion perspective, from an ecological perspective. And so it is a great example of where we need to think about what is our vision for that site and what resources can we invest there to allow the many people that are coming there to continue to love the park while we're heightening the ecological uh, health of the park. Another right. example would be, go ahead. No, no, you can, you can give your example. I was just going to say, I mean, you can see when you talk about something like Barking Springs, that clearly that path and that area is, was not designed to imagine that many people hanging out there all the time. Like there's not a lot of entry yeah. points to the, to the water and you can see where people are kind of scurrying through, um, making their own new trails. <laughs> That's exactly right. right. And you would have to question, was there a path that was designed in many areas down there? The other example of that, which is really easy to see, is looking at the landfill area. So um, on both sides of Mopac against uh, Lady Bird Lake, we have plus or minus 17 acres that are underutilized. They're being utilized as a temporary parking lot um, and as a storage area. And the reason is from the 40s to the 60s, they were used as a landfill for a short period of time a dirt clay cap was put over it. And then we haven't done much of 
anything with it since then. And thinking about the values of the parkland, how much the park is used, and just real estate in Austin, that is an underutilized resource. And so how can we as a community think about what we should be doing with that part of the park from an enjoyment perspective and an ecological perspective? And the vision plan addresses that. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to talk about more of the specifics about what's in the vision plan. Um, you know, my understanding is um, that uh, this your this collective group of you all are generally supportive of what you're seeing come out of the vision plan. I'm wondering if we can start to highlight maybe some of the top things that you'd like to call the public's attention to that are exciting to you, that you're most interested about, you feel like could really bring some some value to to Zulker Park. So let's like, you know, it's a huge report and I'm, I've gone through it. And but what, well, let's 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 pick up some highlights for people to give an idea of what what we're talking about is in this plan. Uh, I'll offer first and foremost that it makes the park greener. It, it is a very robust ecological uplift that is achieved with, uh, you know, this expertise that Jonathan and his team brought uh, to sort of can understand. I, can I interrupt you real quick? Can you say what, can you explain what ecological uplift is? It's, it's all over the report and I don't think it's a term that maybe most people would, would know. <laughs> well, to my simple mind, it's greening up the park, adding nature, adding trees, but I'm going to ask Jonathan, as the expert to maybe give the right term. So let me hand it over to him. Okay. So um, there is a large movement uh, towards ecological restoration. So that's looking at our landscape and recognizing that it has all kinds of functions associated with them, associated with water infiltration, water flowing across the site, um, building soils, uh, uh, allowing plants to grow. The plants create uh, through photosynthesis, create the framework within which we live um, and sustain us and do all kinds of things for us. And ecological uplift is the concept of understanding our uh, landscape that perhaps we haven't acknowledged its functionality and that we can improve its health over time. So the point of using ecological uplift in reference to the vision plan is recognizing that there are these, this untapped potential for us to stewardship, steward this landscape and increase the ecological health. Okay, great. I'm sorry there. I cut you off, Mike. Do you want to talk more about that element? I just wanted to make sure we got that definition in for folks because I think it's, you know, you can kind of guess what it means, but I want to make sure. <laughs> well, uh, and, and some of these terms are bandied around like rewilding and greening and uplift. Yeah. Know? And I, I guess in my simple mind, they're all kind of saying the same thing. Um, and I, Jonathan can smack me for not appreciating the difference correctly, but I, I, I do think it's really wonderful how the, the design, the draft design is really about greening up the park. And it, it does that by proposing ways to reduce the impervious cover in the park, which is a, actually a really key critical value in this area. We want less pavement, not more. Um, and somehow they have managed to come up with a solution that, that does these things of greening the park and reducing the, the hardscape and removing parking from some of the two green uh, parking fields that are currently used as overflow parking. So that's a huge benefit to the park if we're taking parking off of these fields. And they do all of this by consolidating and, and maintaining basically the same level of vehicle access that is currently in the park, uh, but also providing a lot more connectivity for bike, pedestrian, transit access. I mean, that's I would call those three things or four or five things all wrapped up in a really nice package of a greener park that is still very accessible, 
and that um, you know those are the things that it's for sustainable use. As more and more people come, right. we want them to be able to get here and enjoy it just like they always have, but not hurt it. And that was Karen Blizzard, Jonathan Ogren, Joy Kosnovsky, and Mike Kanati. We're going to hear a bit more from them later in the episode, but at this point, I want to bring in Robin Rather to offer her differing perspective on things. Robin has been on the board of Saver Springs Alliance several times. Um, she's also part of the Zilker Neighborhood Association. And both of these organizations, as well as the Barton Hills Neighborhood Association and Bolden Creek Neighborhood Association, have come out against large parts of the vision plan and have instead put forward their own proposal called Rewild Zilker Park. Okay, so let's hear from Robin. And so rewilding, uh, the rewilding group was developed to say, look, we're going to have to help contribute to the plan and contribute specifically around what recommendations do we as environmentalists and uh, neighborhood groups, uh, what, what can we offer to the plan? And so we hired a consultant, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth McGreevy. She wrote a plan for rewilding um, Zilker which was really well received. And, um, and it's, a really, it's a really frugal plan. It's a less expensive plan. It's a very people-friendly plan. And what it does is it offers more shade than is there currently. Uh, you, you do less mowing, uh, but you make it just every single thing you can do in the park now in terms of soccer, picnicking, frisbee golf, disc golf, you know, all the things everybody loves to do in the park, you could still do all that. You're just doing it in a way that is more compatible with what nature itself wants to do there. It's less manicured and that's why it's called rewilding. Um, and so that, that was the impetus for the group. And we've been meeting every week uh, going on two years now and offering ideas to the city, listening, talking, going down to the park, talking to people and, and just really trying to carry our weight in terms of making sure that the plan is, is you know, at, at least minimally protective um, of, of what we need to protect from water to plant life to, to shade and all of it, but also really thinking about the next generation and what our kids and their kids are going to need to be able to go to Zilker Park and have a positive, beautiful experience too. Mm-hmm. And so rewilding, like, how does it help support some of these things? What is it about doing things like not mowing or restoring some of this natural things that can make it more resilient? Or, you know, it seems like a lot of times when I hear about talk at Zilker, you have things like, you know, the fields get really dusty because so many people are walking on them or like the infrastructure in and of itself isn't really supporting it. You know, the banks are being degraded. How does rewilding help with that? Well, the, the whole, I think the thing without getting super geeky, the yeah. thing rewilding that people need to understand is a lot of people don't realize that whole area where Zilker Park is now, it was once a forest. It was a savanna. And over time, um, you know, going back you know, hundreds of years, uh, it was turned into more of an agricultural area uh, than it was donated in, in, in a park. But part of the idea behind rewilding that is so powerful is instead of a landscape architect deciding what, you know, what should go where, you let nature do that. You let nature make that decision. In, in a way, um, you know, for most of human history, there wasn't the audacity to say that man knows better than nature. There was a tremendous respect for nature and uh, a willingness to see nature as a higher power, even Mm -hmm. knowledgeable uh, than humans were. And we've gotten kind of a way now we think, no, nature doesn't know Jack humans are the only ones that know anything. 
And rewilding is really just saying, look, nature really does know what it needs to do there. And if we just nurture that and get out of the way, then you get this ecosystem re rebuilding and revitalization and you're, you're nurturing it, but you're not mowing it. You're not manicuring it. You're not deciding what it should be. You're actually letting the landscape decide for itself. And typically in areas where rewilding happens, you get a much, much, much healthier ecosystem out of it, much better water quality protection, much better riparian effect. Um, and, and it's really often, it's much more beautiful. Um, in and that, cheaper, it's, maybe? It's so much cheaper. You can't imagine. <laughs> way, way cheaper. What they could save at Zilker Park by not mowing everywhere that they currently mowed. The sad thing is there have been some volunteer rewilding projects in Zilker that got mowed by accident. I mean, years worth of work just got mowed. And mowing is not that healthy. Um, I mean, you have to do it in certain areas, obviously. Um, and no one's saying don't do any mowing. But trying to cut down the amount of mowing and trying to increase the amount of rewilding makes for a healthier ecosystem and a, a more, um, an even more natural experience for all the park goers that go there. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's talk about some of the more, I guess, controversial elements now that have come out of the plan. Like a big one, we'll start with parking, right? So that seems to be can I interrupt you though? I want yeah. to talk about something really positive first. Let's do the okay. positives before we get into what are some ugly negatives. Okay, let's do it. The number one great thing about the plan, something they got right and our team was absolutely cheering its brains out when we saw it. The transit, bike and ped aspects of the plan are brilliant. You're talking about way more bike pathway, way, way more trails, much better uh, pedestrian um, access. Closing and, some roads entirely to cars just for a bike and ped. That's right. And they actually, I'm, I'm going to, I'm no ego in this, but we suggested a free shuttle in and out of the park. Um, we're, we were suggesting a free shuttle to, from, from all parts of the city. So if you're in Circle C or in Dove Springs and you want to come to Zoka Park, you can take a free shuttle and you don't have to drive. Um, and they actually did a pilot of shuttle in the summer that was very successful. And so that made it into the plan. And, you know, the transit part of this is, it's, it's glorious. And they should get a lot of credit for coming up with a transit plan that's equitable, that's climate friendly, uh, that reduces the need for cars. It's still, you know, you still can drive there and park there if you need to, but it, it, it gives people way more options. And it, it, it's just a thing of beauty. So I, I did want to get that in. That, that's a wonderful thing about this plan. Yeah. And so that's talking about both an internal circulator. And I think also in the plan is the idea that, um, there might even be this opportunity for an external circulator, some system where they're partnering with parking garages, working with apps. It seems like there's some legal issues that need to be dealt with, but if that can be worked with, people could park down the road, you know, a mile away and then take a shuttle in. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so that part's exciting. And that, you know, I think addresses, starts to address some of the parking thing too, which is the big, one of the big concerns about Zilker is it's kind of hard to get there sometimes, I guess, you know, especially if you don't live in the neighborhoods or let's, let's talk about the parking concerns. So in the plan right now, um, what's been proposed is three parking garages. I think one of them would be underground and the way the city says it, it's about the same number of technical parking spaces as they have there now, but they would all be formal. They would get rid of the informal ones and that would allow them to add more green space back to the park. 
It seems like that's not the way <laughs> that everyone is seeing it. Let's let's break it down a bit. So let's look at let's look at a couple of things. There are some key parts of the year where parking at Zilker is a disaster. Okay, mm-hmm. peak summer, weekends, and some holidays. A lot of the year, the park is either closed for ACL or ACL prep, or it's it, there's not that much demand for parking. Plenty of times during the year, you can drive over there and park no problem. I would say most week, most weekdays during the year and a, about half of the weekends, this is not that big of a problem. First of all, right now, there are a thousand or so legal parking areas in the park. What they're calling informal parking is actually illegal parking, which they don't police. They, you can't get a ticket. The reason people... in, in illegally park at Zilker is you can't get a ticket. No one's ticketing. Um, the park rangers don't ticket. APD is not even in the park. A whole nother subject of, you know, of great concern to some people is if something terrible happens to you in the park, there's no, there is no, there's no help. And that, that's a whole separate public safety issue that we should be talking about, but we're not. But so what they're saying is let's take the legal parking and the illegal parking and, and, and say that means we need 2,000 spaces. Actually, more than 2,000 spaces are in the plan. And first of all, they're not factoring in. There's no data analysis that says how much parking we actually need. And secondly, that informal parking, if they ticketed people, people would figure something else out. It's just convenient. Um, and the thing is, parking garages, the, they're, they're estimated the least that they would cost is about $20 million. It costs $20 million. So they're talking about $60 million worth of parking garages. And I think our view is that's a ludicrous amount of money. That's a stupid amount of money. For $60 million, you could, I mean, honestly, you could fund a lot of parks the way they are now for $60 million. Some people don't realize Barton Springs right now. It, it takes in about $5 million in park fees from everything from Barton Springs fees to um, event fees, and it costs about $6 million. So right now the park is running around five or $6 million as an, as an operation. They're talking about building $60 million worth of parking garages for a, for a $6 million park. This doesn't, this makes no sense, especially when uh, we're talking about a circulator. We're talking about transit. We're talking about bike ped, um, and we're building Project Connect. So we should need less parking, not 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 more parking. And our, our another thought of ours is there's plenty of parking on the periphery of the park. There's a lot of parking garages that they actually say that in the report. And so how can we leverage those parking garages? Are typically not used exactly when we need them on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, honestly, I think if you say we have a $6 million park, but we're going to build $60 million worth of parking garages on the surface, common sense says, is that a good idea? Right. So, so your thought here, it's, you know, it, your concern is not necessarily with the idea of getting, it seems like you would also like to see some of this illegal or informal parking be gotten rid of in order to restore it to more natural space. That's not the part that is concerning to you. It's more like, the idea that we need to add a bunch of parking in the first place. Like, do you think there's a way we could not build a parking garage, but also um, do some of the things like getting rid of these informal parking spaces and making them more natural again and 
bringing them back to the park? Because I think they were talking about that being could add many acres back to our park. Yes, but what they're saying is in order to do that, you have to build these parking garages. It's not like if they give us the option, let's just return this green space to what it should be instead of informal parking area. If Of course, we would say yes to that. But what okay. they're saying is the way to do that is build these other parking okay. garages. And that's just a, that's just a false economy. Okay. And then, sense. right. And, and that kind of feeds into, I think, the second, the second issue sort of the, you know, I've heard, I've heard the concerns about ACL, Live Nation, this feeling like it's turning, you know, giving things over to them a bit more. Talk about this a little bit more. Explain what you mean for people who are not really understanding how this works. Like, do you think there is still space for ACL to be happening at Zilker? Is that, is that it? Or is it more like you feel like this is going to really take things and amplify them too much beyond just ACL? I want to be careful about this. Yes. Well, no one's saying ACL shouldn't stay in the park. Okay. Okay. I think um, no one in the rewilding group. I'm certainly not, <laughs> not saying that. Our The Zilker neighborhood, I'm the VP of parks for the Zilker neighborhood. Our neighborhood, XCOM, we voted to stay neutral on the issue of whether Zilker, uh, whether ACLs, ACL should stay or move. In our neighborhood, it's roughly split. About half the people in our neighborhood love ACL, love hearing it from their porches, Um you know, love walking down there, think it's really cool. And about half of our neighborhood would move them to, you know, Circuit of the Americas or, you know, somewhere else in a heartbeat. So our neighborhood is split on that. I think even people that love ACL and go every year and it's their favorite thing and they're just, uh, you know, so um, ecstatic about ACL, even the people that go to ACL can easily see the utter wreckage that happens in the park, to the soil, to the landscape every single year. It, you know, even the person that that invented ACL can easily visibly see, wow, that's a lot. And part of it is when ACL was first proposed by a local company, C3, they envisioned about 25,000 people coming to the coming to the concerts, right? That was mm-hmm. that was what it was envisioned. Most recently, it was 450,000 people over two weekends is the estimate I've seen in the, in the press. That is a huge amount of growth. That's a huge amount of people in the park every year. And I think it's a legitimate question. Has the concert outgrown Zilker? And are they doing everything they can do to green up their footprint, to, you know, pay for the damage that's done. And um, the questions that are being raised are really about privatizing and commercializing Zilker. Mm-hmm. ACL Talk is more about that. Okay, yeah. so um, ACL, and, and I think a lot of people don't understand that original Austin company that started ACL, um, which, which was just a, three cool guys that had a cool idea that no, one, no one's blaming them or, or bashing them. Uh, it was a good idea and they implemented it well. It became super successful. But then I think um, several years ago, they sold it to Live Nation, which a few years before that had merged with Ticketmaster. So who runs ACL now is Live Nation Ticketmaster, period, the end. That's who, that's who we're dealing with. That company is a $6 billion company. Okay. And part of how they make money is they use venues like Zilker Park, a public space, and why does they do that? Because it's cheaper. They get a great deal. 
right? They, I think they, it looks to me like they make about $20 million um, each year from ACL. And they're all told they're paying the city, I think maybe a million for everything from police coverage, EMS coverage, uh, what little park fees they spend. Um, and they do some cool donations. They've, they've donated a lot of money to the Austin community and that is greatly appreciated. But most of that money doesn't stay at Zilker Park. It goes to parks all over the city. That's great. But if you look at the damage to the park year after year after year as ACL has grown, it's a problem and we should be talking about that. We should talk about that together. Um, and that is what people are saying when they look at the park plan you can sort of see, oh, this is the elephant in the room. They're protecting what ACL needs. They're pushing things out to the peripheral. They're, they're pushing um, you know, soccer fields and Frisbee fields uh, over near Mopac, the dumbest place in the park to have you know, uh, so soccer and all of that is right next to Mopac. But they're sort of- Because of the noise? The noise, the air pollution, uh, you know, all of that, all of that. But I think you could see, oh, they're sort of protecting the ACL stage space. We, when we issued the rewilding plan, one of the pieces of feedback we got was, you can't rewild there. That's where the ACL stage goes. And I think there's room for everything, but we need to be really direct with each other and honest with each other. The wreckage to Zilker Park from ACL is, I would say it's catastrophic. And so, the concern here is just, you know, is this the best that we can do to protect the assets of the park and, and keep the park a park and not turn it into what, you know, a $6 billion company or other mega donors want the park to be. Most people want the park to be what it is. They wanna to go to Barton Springs, they wanna play Frisbee golf, disc golf, they wanna play soccer, they wanna have a picnic, they wanna celebrate their kids' birthdays, they, you know, no one is saying, let's let, I mean, at the core, what this plan says is let's spend $200 million plus on Zilker Park, 60 of which, 60 million of which would be parking garages. I think it's legitimate to say that is not necessary. And the more we spend on Zilker means the less we're spending on the other metropolitan parks all over the city and the park system as a whole. And the corporatization and privatization, the commercialization of parks, uh, there's a, an upside to it, but there's a significant downside to it. And we just wanna have a conversation about what's going too far? What's, what, what is the right balance here between parks for public good and parks for commercialization purposes? And that was Robin Rather. If you want to learn more about the Rewild Zilker plan, you can check out their website at rewildzilker.org. And now we're going to go back to that interview I recorded with the Zilker Collective Impact Working Group. So here's Karen Blizzard, Jonathan Ogren, Joy Kosnovsky, and Mike Kanati. Jonathan, um, I'd love to get a little bit more input from you then, again, in talking about some of the concerns in the plan. It's like the alternative, right, is this rewild Zilker plan. And and kind of I think the idea there that they're they're trying what they're talking about sounds a lot like some of the ecological uplift that's happening in the park under the current plan. Like I'm sure you've looked at all of these things together. Like how do you balance it in your mind, right? Like 
what can we be doing to make the park more ecologically vibrant without, I don't know, like how, how do we balance that? How do you, how do you see both plans? Um, well, so it's important to remember that uh, there are a lot of people that are interested in Zilker Park. So you have uh, three organizations represented on this podcast. You have 16 associated with the coalition. You have numerous other organizations throughout the city that are really interested in what's happening with the vision plan. And SOS, Zilker Neighborhood Association, Bolden Creek Neighborhood Association are definitely three of those organizations as well. Um, they saw what was in the Zilker natural resource inventory, they spoke with the vision planning team, and they came out with their perspective on some of the concepts which, that should be in the vision plan, which is the rewilding plan that they came out with. It has a lot of the aspects that are in the natural resource inventory, and then they built on that. And so they're advocating for their vision of the park, which I think is important. Stakeholders throughout the city should be advocating for what they want in the park, and SOS, Zilker Neighborhood Association, have done a very good job of advocating for what they'd like to see in the park. Um, we've definitely heard with them, heard what they have to say. Um, we've met with them. Uh, we think some of the concepts at their base, as Mike said earlier, are very similar to what we have within the concepts of the vision plan. It, at its base, both ecological uplift and rewilding really focus on the idea of ecological health and ecological restoration. We're in full agreement on that. One of the base concepts within the rewilding plan was to look at 80 to 90 acres of the areas that are currently underutilized or being used for formal landscapes or lawn or uh, impervious cover being restored. And the results of the vision plan are about 90 acres are being restored that are currently either lawn or underutilized or impervious cover. So we're meeting that goal. Another uh, important concept within the rewilding plan that is also within the vision plan is thinking about uh, climate. And so thinking ways we can think about climate, climate change as it addresses or as it's happening in Zilker Park is we can think about adaptation mitigation and resiliency. And so adaptation is the idea, how are we gonna deal with being outside as the temperatures rise, as we get more drought, as we get more extreme weather events. And so the, the vision plan addresses that through increasing our canopy cover and increasing the woodland. So there's about 68 acres of additional canopy cover and or woodland restoration within the vision plan. Another issue is thinking about that stormwater. If you remember what we were saying about that stormwater running down the banks of Barton Creek. And so one of the things that is lacking in the park currently is green stormwater infrastructure. And by utilizing that, we're adapting to climate change, these extreme events. And so we're, we have two to 13 acres of additional green stormwater infrastructure within the vision plan. And then again, going back to centralizing that, that car use within the park, we are reducing the impervious cover within the park by eight acres. So those are examples associated with adaptation. Same is true with mitigation, thinking about while Zilker Park can't solve all the world's problems, it can do a small part in mitigating climate change by enhancing carbon sequestration. And that goes back to those woodlands and the canopy enhancement. It goes to the idea of about 256 acres of the total 351 acres are focused on ecological health. And so there's a whole list of things 
within this vision plan that address climate change. And that was one of the major concerns the rewilding plan had as well. And so um, there's great ideas within the rewilding plan. We've taken those and we've pushed them through into the vision plan. Um, but not only the ideas of SOS, Zilker Neighborhood Association, but this coalition that is on the, the podcast with you right now, as well as numerous other stakeholders throughout the city of Austin, I've given input and that's where this vision plan came from. Yeah, and you know, kind of the last question there that has been on the minds with this plan is like the role of ACL in big events, right? And this is a question we always grapple with. Um, Zilker is beloved for that. I, people love to go to ACL. People love to go to trail lights, but it also closes down the park for, you know, portions, portions of the park for a period of time. How does this plan address like the role of those big events? I, I can give you a sense. I feel like the, I think there've been some, some authoritative answers from uh, the design workshop and answering questions at the community meeting. Um, but I, I can tell you from what I've heard, I don't really see anything in the plan that bakes the existence or non-existence of the festival into the park. I think this, what they've said is, I think what the design workshop folks have said is there's a contract that the city has with C3, which has the event being here for some amount of time. Uh, so they're not um, trying to kick it out. But when you read the plan, I don't really see how there's anything in there that says, oh, this is not how a festival fits in here. In fact, I, the way I look at it and my personal take on it, the plan actually makes it harder for the festival to happen in the future if, for example, the staging grounds over the Butler landfill have been uh, remediated into a greener, more natural space. That, I think, from my perspective, would make it harder to have a festival there, but probably they can figure out some way to get around that. Um, I'm not, I've got to tell you, this is just my own personal take. I, I haven't heard anybody talk yeah, about it. I think most of our groups have been more focused on the everyday use of the park. And I, I seem to remember early on when this all began that Claire kind of indicated that the plan is largely focused on everyday use. Um, do you remember that, Joy? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I, I mean, I think the plan as I see it is pretty agnostic when it comes to the Kite Festival, ACL, Trail of Lights. You know, it, it, I think it, in my opinion, a festival looks at what are the amenities a city may have and what is a park or green space that may be a neat place to do some sort of act, large activation or event. And if it, it fits, it fits. Um, but yeah, I think to what Mike and Karen have said that, that really it's like this park is being used a ton, but what do we want to see it look like um, in the future? And mm. Lots of people use the park for people play sports, people take their dogs, people walk, people run, um, people swim, people take their kids, some people are visitors, some people are natives, um, you know, and so, and I also don't think it's an either or, right? I think what Jonathan has really, I think, done a good job sharing is there's a lot of ecological uplift happening, there's impervious cover being removed, but at the same time, we're creating spaces for families, you know, to come who don't live adjacent to the park to have picnics to, ex you know, to explore Barton Springs. Um, and, to, and to me, I mean, I think that's what's so great about the vision plan is it, it creates that vision that it's open to all to have an experience, I think, that meets kind of what your, what your needs are. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. It also creates a space, more spaces for programming, like um, doing that in a more consolidated, smarter way. Um, just learned in a conversation with Claire that the proposed relocation of this um, theater, the mm-hmm. Hillside Theater, would also potentially serve um, Austin Nature and Science Center and some of their programming, as well as um, Zilker Botanical Gardens. So that's just a really like strategic way of thinking about, you know, how can you place an amenity so that it serves nearby groups as much as possible? And, you know, adding that connectivity, um, I think I think they've done a really great job of thinking through what are all the various needs of the park. And again, that was Karen Blizzard, Jonathan Ogren, Joy Kosnowski, and Mike Kanati. One last point that I want to address here about the Zilker vision plan. Another concern that Robin and the Rewild Zilker group expressed about the vision plan is nonprofit partnerships. The plan says, quote, with the vision plan, we believe that there's a once in a lifetime opportunity to create a coordinated effort between the Austin Parks and Recreation Department and a unified umbrella nonprofit partner, end quote. You know, the vision plan then goes on to point out nonprofit partnerships currently operating at other large parks in major cities across the U.S., saying that these nonprofits help, quote, raise public and private funds, organize and deploy robust volunteer programs, and supply additional staff and resources to aid the city parks department in caring for the park. We believe this model applies to Zulker Park as well, end quote. And one more quote for you here. At the same time, the plan also says, quote, PARD, which is Parks and Recreation Department, will want to maintain a strong management and planning presence in Zilker Park, including phasing and implementation of the vision plan, overseeing capital improvements, day-to-day operations and maintenance, reserved area reservations, and permitting and management of large events. End quote. All right, so what does all of this actually mean? For Robin, this nonprofit idea raises real concerns. As she told me, Quote, it's possible for nonprofits to commercialize the parks, even if they use the money for a great community mission. If you're charging money in the park, that's commercialization, end quote. And Robin, she also raised concerns about nonprofit partnerships coming with less accountability and more reliance on funding from large donors and corporate sponsorships. So that's one argument that's been made. Now to get the Zilker Collective Impact Working Group's point of view, we're going to go one last time back to Karen Blizzard, Jonathan Ogren, Joy Kosnowski, and Mike Kanati. So let's go back to that interview, and you're going to hear Joy talking right away um, about nonprofit partnerships at parks. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think fundamentally, if you look at our park system, in Austin, if you look at park systems across the nation, parks are always underfunded. You know, people don't go into the parks world or go into park planning to make a lot of money. <laughs> you know, parks are always underfunded. There's always maintenance issues, that sort of thing. And, and, and that's the reality if you look at the parks and rec system here in Austin. You know, there is a lot of needs, there is an incredible amount of green space, and we simply don't have the resources publicly, I think it would be different if we said, hey, let's let's fund our park systems at a certain level, right? And I think that's where the potential of a conservancy comes in because then they're also able to leverage potentially city funding, bond funding that comes and provide 
additional, you know, additional revenue um, streams. You know, Austin Parks Foundation is not a conservancy. So I think one of the, you know, one of the differences for our organization is that we really look at supporting parks all across Austin, especially right. in areas that are disin, you know, disinvested in um, or have been historically. Um, and so, you know, we're we're excited about the Zilker Vision Plan, but we also know there's a lot of other parks in Austin that also um, need attention and need resources, but that I don't want to say that because of that, we shouldn't go forward with the Zilker Vision Plan. I think we absolutely do, because again, it's a starting point. It's a wonderful roadmap of things that we can do into the future. And I think, um, you know, if the conservancy model is what is um, going to be the best way to, you know, if the community says these are all the things that we that we want, and how are we going to fund this? Um, how are we going to have stewards? And if that, and if you look, you know, in the plan, it compares Zilker with various other parks in the nation. And I will say that parks of kind of this caliber, this size, you know, a lot of times they have that conservancy for that additional um, help, support, advocacy. Um, but yeah. I'll I'll stop there so so others can jump in too. And yeah, and I'll chime, oh, yeah, go ahead. You, you can go. I'll, I'll just chime in maybe in your answer too when you're thinking about this. You know, one thing I'd I'd love to to hear more about is what a conservancy or nonprofit can offer that the city can't. I think most people are confused by this or really wouldn't even yeah. know that not are aware that we have some conservancies in certain parks anyway. Like why why have one? I guess like what what why can't the parks department just do what the Parks Foundation is doing or whatever, you know? Yeah, I've heard recently um, the term conservancy used with some panic because um, there's been some messaging out there equating it with privatization. And the fact is, Zilker will always be public land. It will always be a public park. Across the nation with major urban cities, there are different models for nonprofits <clears throat> to be a partner or assist with um various aspects of the park. Um, for example, Barton Springs Conservancy is mainly a philanthropic fundraising conservancy. And I know Mike's going to want to talk more about that. But um, the recommendation that was in the vision plan was actually for a nonprofit partner. And I think that term was used very carefully because, because there are so many. For example, the Bronx River Alliance. It's an alliance of a number of groups that contribute, you know, to make to make it a better place. The term conservancy implies oftentimes taking over operations and maintenance of a park. Um, and that's like one type of conservancy, I guess. But there's just a whole range of nonprofits and different ways to help uh, steward a park. Mike, did you want to add to that? I, what I'll just to emphasize your point, the Barton Springs Conservancy uh, does not operate Barton Springs. We right. There's different types of conservancies that they, they meet different needs. Uh, but I think to your question uh, about why do we need nonprofit partners in our parks, it might also be helpful to point out that the, you know, yes, we have funding shortfalls and those are very clear. I think there's even a, a very nice documentation in the, in the draft plan about where the finances work in terms of Zilker Park income and outflow. But you should also note that the city council has got a formal policy of being open to having uh, partners in our parks. Uh, I don't know that they called out conservancy. I can't remember the exact wording, but um, this is official city policy to help 
take care of the parks in the ways that they need and deserve instead of what we can necessarily afford to do. Yeah, and the city calls them partnerships. They have different yeah. levels of partnership agreements. And I was at the open house last Saturday and Justin Schneider with PARD was having to explain to some people who had heard this other messaging, <laughs> you know, calm down, um, it's okay. We have these, you know, we have this city process and there's public accountability all along the way. So when people enter into one of those agreements, um, you know, it goes before council, it gets approved, there's public input. So, you know, there's not going to be some massive land grab or takeover of Zilker Park. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> and that was Karen Blizzard, Jonathan Ogren, Joy Snofsky, and Mike Kanadi. And that's pretty much our show for today. If you're interested in the Zilker Metropolitan Park Vision Plan and you want to learn more, you can look through the entire plan for yourself at austintexas.gov forward slash Zilker Vision. You can also share your feedback and comments on the plan with the city at that website through January 8th. Thanks for listening. 